So Brayden's sister, older sister, we were visiting her um, a long time ago and meeting her new boyfriend. And they were having a house party in a loft and we were staying with them. And they got out all these snacks for the party. And Brayden and I and my friend Jamila ate all the <laughs> snacks before the guests came. Well, that makes sense. Guys, I'm having a birthday party. I'm having the first party of the season, of the COVID season, because people are vaxxed. It's, again, it's outside. I said masks and distancing are encouraged. We'll see what happens. But masks will be happening. But we're outside. We're at a park. It's safe. Relax, everyone. Everybody calm down. Do I? I don't think I need to bring any food. Maybe I bring a bag. It's the park. I think, if anything, you could bring um, some crackers and cheese. I do have a bunch of... But here's the thing. Don't bring crackers and cheese because what if we order pizza? That's just another crackers and cheese in a different form. BYOS. Bring your own snacks. I said BYOB. Bring your own blankets, booze, and butts. I... And buds. Butts. Like butt. Yourself. Your butt. Your booty. Oh, your booty. I'm picturing cigarette butts and I'm like, who are these friends of yours that smoke (laughs) And also just take cigarette butts. Who smokes cigarettes anymore? You know? No offense. If if you guys smoke cigarettes, dear readers. But come on, do better. No, cool. Tell me about it. You probably were like the cool kid in high school. Just like me. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Did you know this? What? Cigarette. I've smoked... Plenty of the other, but... You've never smoked a cigarette. never smoked a cigarette in my life. It's weird because... How is this the first time this is coming up? You're not missing out at all. Like, I'm like, sh- should we go get a pack of cigarettes and I make Carrie's so I'm like... Here's the thing. really gross. My <laughs> mom and dad smoked. My grandma was a chain sp- smoker. She quit. But my, my mom would take drags and have an occasional cigarette, and so would my dad. Dare is notoriously known for not working. For me... It worked. Scared the shit it out of you. It scared the you shit like, out of me. I'm gonna so smoke hard. a cigarette and then I'm gonna be on the streets addicted to heroin <laughs> the end of that week. Yeah. No, I think it was like we talked about when we talked about um every other drug, I talked about the Oprah, like any sort of like scare tactic. Like if I were to ever be in a situation where I'd be quote scared straight, it would work. Like that shit yeah. works for me. I, I've always been a very sensitive person. Like when I was a baby. And a child, my mom always said I was incredibly sensitive. Lots of tears, lots of emotions. And I think whenever I saw my mom smoke, I saw my mom die. Wow. That like, sounds like a lot of pressure on her. Poor mom. Quit. And they, Did she quit because of you? She quit, I think, for many reasons. Probably one of which was me. And my whole upbringing, she would say things like... Don't you ever smoke. You gave us so much shit for it. Like, she held that over my head in a way. So you can't turn around and be a hypocrite. I can't turn around and be a hypocrite. She said I gave her so much shit that I could never smoke. And she was right. I would see, like, my mom and her sisters sharing a cigarette at a family party. And I would go and I would cry Oh, Carrie. Behind the couch or a closet. Because, again, you're taught cigarettes are bad for you and they can cause death. And so watching my mom smoke was, like, a very scary thing for me. Yeah. So I never smoked for that reason. And and then it got to the point where it was so late 
And I became proud of it that I had never had a cigarette. And then it got to the point where I thought, these are really fucking expensive. What is the fucking point? You don't smell good. Like, I don't know what the point of a cigarette is, except to become addicted to a cigarette or to look cool or like... I'll tell you. I'll tell you the to point. To feel drunk a little t- bit? Mm, no, because I never liked that. It kind of gives you like a headachey feeling and cigarette hangovers are really gross. Like, But, you know, the reason um, to smoke is if you have a service industry job. If you have any job uh, in the service industry or, or right. even when I worked at Sam Goody, I, I think I smoked. Because you could say to your boss, it was like this loophole of being like, can I go have a cigarette? And it felt like it it wasn't a break. Like no one, no one was like, can I go take 10 minutes to fiddle around on my phone? I just want to do that and then come back in here. You don't say that when you work at a, a, you know, a bar or restaurant or wherever you work, but you can totally say, can I go have a cigarette? And especially so many people smoke in that industry that 90% chance your boss smokes. So they're like, absolutely. If you had my boss when you worked at a restaurant, he would explain to you that, yes, you could go have a cigarette and that you had exactly seven minutes to have it because that's what you were given in the Israeli army. <laughs> he was Israeli. And he would give me seven minutes to the second. Seven minutes in heaven. To the fucking second. And I better be back in there. Or he was going to lose his mind at me. (laughs) Which he often did. He often absolutely lost his mind on me. I would actually love to see you. Because you've always had a position of authority in the places we've worked together. Yeah, but you've always had a position. The idea of seeing you not screamed at is really comical to me. Like, I can't. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, I also think it's like you, you're like your mom, I think, where you challenge authority. I think that's bred into the Posner girls that I'm aware of, which is you and Brianna, where I think you both will challenge authority. Oh, absolutely. And we had this very sort of contentious relationship, me and my boss, because I was very good at what I did. I was a really good manager. The customers really liked me and would come back and ask about me when I wasn't around. And he knew I was doing a great job, but he would scream at me. I would scream back. I would scream back and uh, we'd scream at each other. It would get really... uh, intense and he couldn't believe I would speak to him that way and I remember he not that he liked it but there was some level of respect there where he we would scream at each other and then just carry on and uh I got a a second job while I was working there at a pizzeria and it was also a restaurant and the boss was very misogynistic and very uh not a nice guy and he came up to me once And he complained that the customers that I was serving were ordering too many pizzas. And why wasn't I getting people to order other things off the menu where I guess the price differential was putting more money in his pocket? So he said, you know, you're why are you selling all these pizzas? And I said, well, for starters, if you if that's something you're worried about, my suggestion to you would be take off the awning that you put outside that says pizzeria six times. And he was like shocked, like didn't even yell at me, but like jaw dropped and went to almost everyone else in the restaurant and was like, Quinn just said this to me, to me about my restaurant. I I was fired the next day. I mean, it was like he was, his mind was blown that I would like talk, speak to him that way. 
Um, so Wait, I love that he fired you the next day. Oh, absolutely. Did everybody so, agree with you? Sure, but no one would have talked to him like that. But to the to the, my Israeli boss's credit, uh, I worked there. I don't know, like eight years or something crazy. Um, I worked there a really long time, and uh, I finally quit because we got in a fight. And he said, "I'm, I'm so mad at you. I'm going to take you off the schedule for this week." And it was such a flex, but I realized it was a monetary flex where it was like this thing I'm of like, your "You're affecting the money." I'm like that. You can yell at me and call me names as much as you want. But when you say to me, when we're in a fight, I'm always going to have the power to really fuck with you. I'm always going to have the power to actually take away your next paycheck. It was such a crazy flex that I, I quit. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm off the schedule for this week. How about I'm off the schedule forever? Bye. Bye. <laughs> and then I had him cater my wedding after that. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that's the biggest flex I've ever seen in my life. I really liked him in the end, you know, and, and well, I really I liked the food there was great, too. Listen, there's there's two types of contentious relationships. One is like a little give and take. I think some people really respond well to an aggressive fight. I also think sometimes it breeds closeness. Like I remember one of my best friends, we were living together and shit was just awkward between the two of us and I, I'll never forget I actually just talked to her with her about it we got in a f- screaming match and hurtful shit was said we were young I mean I was 23 and she, we were living together in New York it just shit happened and nobody was addressing things as they were happening so it was all building up it was a thing and I remember afterwards the like feeling of release of yelling at each other and also then repairing the relationship in a way that made us closer in a sense where it's like we're family, you know, like you can yell and you I'll still love you. Like as much as you're going to threaten to walk away, I'm not going to let you because yeah. I love you and you're my best friend. So it's like this is it's cute that you think you can laugh and, and tell me to leave, but I won't sort of like uh, the housewives. Definitely. Which well, the Housewives my, has a monetary my, incentive for me. <laughs> for friendship. I can't imagine anyone staying friends with Ramona Singer. And that's and that's the truth. Oh, uh, agree. I can't imagine. Bethany at least is that entertaining. Ramona roller coaster. What is it? The Ramona Coaster. Ramona Coaster with a little Pinot Grigio. I, little turtle time. Turtle time. The eyes. When she, I mean, the eyes. Speaking mm, of, we love there's her. an elephant in the room, which is... <gasps> Dear readers, I came in today, and I think you should know... Quinlan Danielle Posner is fucking back, y'all. I came in, she had her goddamn nails painted, and we got an announcement, y'all. We're not, this is not sponsored by Groupon, but Quinlan got a Groupon for her eyelash extensions. I am sporting over six pounds of eyelashes right now <laughs> that I got on Groupon. I was telling Carrie, I don't have a place I go to get eyelashes. I just go wherever there's a Groupon. Wherever the Groupon leads me is where I go. Follow As a Groupon result, I have a really hard time because each time it's a new place and each time I try to explain that I want them natural. And that is, it's a 50% success rate, folks. Sometimes I come out of there and I can see Matt that afternoon and he'll be like, you look different. What is it? Like, 
you look pretty today. And that's what I want. I want the like, can't put my finger on it, but you look great vibe that fake eyelashes afford. Sometimes, and this time is one of them, I walk out and I am a real housewife, which is so funny because I don't wear makeup and I don't brush my hair, but I have one million giant doll-like lashes on each (laughs) eye. Koa told me I look like one of his Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head dolls that I have, like, different eyelashes. (laughs) Like, I popped in my pretty eyes or something. He didn't phrase it that way. He said, you look like Mr. Potato Head and you have new eyes. You don't look like my mom. That's what he said to me. Isn't that nice? I love that kid so much. But, yeah, Quinn has potato head eyes. Gender-neutral potato head eyes. I have... Yeah, he has it every kind of uh, potato head. Whatever, what are they now? I think okay. Everybody freaked out over fucking nothing. Obviously, yeah. What happened was is Hasbro. The brand was called Mister Potato Head. What the brand? What they did is they wanted to make the like umbrella just Potato Head, and then yeah. you can have Mister and Mrs. Potato Head still as like a product. But in terms of the like umbrella of them or like Baby Potato Head, I'm sure they're like. Oh, I had no more idea. That's my understanding of it. And then what happened was is right-wing news took it and said, they're destroying our white male It is really weird identity with a fucking they potato. Decide. Yeah, it's just really weird what fights they pick. It's like... I mean, I love <laughs> I love to see the hypocrisy sometimes, but I, it also just makes me rage hard. Like, I, I rage against the machine, if you will, to borrow term. And also, by the way, for the record, when all the accoutrement is off, they both look the damn same. That's not true. Does His Mr. Potato Head is tanner, he told me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also know tan. that... Men are Tanner from all the hunting. Um, did you also know that um, <laughs> from the hunting? That's good. Um, did you know that apparently Potato Head was actually just kids used to take an actual potato? Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I feels like we should just do that. I would do a sweet potato. Sounds messy. But how messy? Potatoes aren't juicy when you, like, pop a hole in them. I don't know. I, don't... I would take and be like, good, great. Now I can bake them without having to put four holes. I always feel like I'm about to stab myself. So I'm going to start giving Koa vegetables to play with. Yeah, and then cook them. All right. That is called upcycling. <laughs> By the way, you're listening to Truly. Truly. Darkly. Creepily. That's Carrie Ipema. that's Quinlan Posner. And Gosh. you are a dear reader ready to hear a wild tale, <gasps> tale. a crazy tale, Ooh. a tale that belongs to an animal you've never seen before. Ooh. Can you guess the story I'm going to do right now? No, that's the craziest thing you've ever asked me to okay, do and I see. simply won't do it. Okay, let's try. It is a old story, famous You've probably heard about it, but you probably don't know exactly what it is. Ooh. Um. Um. It involves a baby. The, um, the Lindbergh baby. Yes! You got Really? Are you fucking kidding me? I guessed your story? Oh my goodness. I knew you would. Oh my God, Quinn, the waves are so... Oh God. Sorry, I got really excited. No, but I was excited. I gotta throw my back, my head back this way. 
I love that. Yeah, I'm doing the Lindbergh baby. The Lindbergh baby. I don't know what that is. But we all I know about know it. I should know what it is, but what is it? Basically, when I'm doing this in the last couple of episodes with the baby Jessica, is I'm just trying to figure out these Who are stories. all these babies? Well, the stories that I've heard of my whole fucking life, but I never know what they are. Do you, do, do you pretend when people are like, baby Jessica, were you like, ah, yes, yes, Well, I knew Jessica. baby Jessica was in a well. But, like, I always and thought did, it was, what like, did you know? the ring well. You Tell know what I mean? Tell the truth. Like, what would you say if somebody was, like, Lindbergh baby before you did this research? Would I'd you be, be like, like... It was about a baby that was taken from a guy named Lindbergh. I right. don't know if the baby's that's alive or extent. dead. I, I don't know. That's the absolute extent of my knowledge on it that's as well. That's it. So I got the information from uh, Investigation Discovery YouTube. A weird YouTube that I saw that was from the State Bar of Georgia. Cool. That was like weird. The writing was so good because it was a, a gavel as a character because mm-hmm. the State Bar of Georgia. And it was weird jokes in this story. More so than... And by me saying that as a true crime comedy podcaster, the jokes were so written in that it was a little unsettling in that this is about a kidnapped child. Maybe (laughs) nix the comedy? Whatever. Um, (laughs) FBI.gov, which has a whole write-up. That was where I got most of my information. And I think it's pretty reliable. Um, History.com, Chasing News YouTube, so silly, Wikipedia, and Britannica. So, do you know about Charles Lindbergh at all? Why he was famous? No, I don't. He was a famous aviator. He famously oh. took the first solo flight from New Jersey to Paris. It took 33 hours. From oh, my a God. Solo Are you serious? Yes. That's crazy. That's fucking insane. When you run out of gas in that time that can last 33 hours and you're in an airplane i mean it's probably a small ass airplane maybe he coasted because he was able to follow currents i don't know so wait 33 hours that is a that's what i'd call a diaper flight a diaper oh yeah totally totally at the very least a can a bottle Mm -hmm. to just pee and he's a man so fortunately with those penises they can whip them out and pee wherever. That, is that how that works? So he was probably one of the most famous people at that time. And this was around, I think, 1927 that he did this crazy flight. So he was really famous. So he marries his wife, Anne Mara Lindbergh. They live near Hopewell, New Jersey, in a fucking estate because he's pretty fucking well off. And they have their son, Charles Lindbergh Jr. Now, Charles Lindbergh Jr. is this, like, beautiful, blonde little boy. Apparently, he's born with rickets and he's pigeon-toed, so he has some medical issues. He's about 20 months old. It's March 1st, 1932. His nurse, Betty, puts him down at around eight o'clock at night. They don't really hear anything. Nothing's happening. She goes and checks on the nursery at 10 p.m., so about two hours later, and the baby's gone. Can you imagine what would happen to your heart inside of your body? I freak out when I lose sunglasses. So no, to answer your question, I don't. Like, I can't imagine... I can imagine your mind doing crazy gymnastics to try to rationalize it. How old's the baby? 20 months. Yeah, you're looking around that room. You're like, you're going, this kid okay, figured out how to climb out I of his crib, for sure. And at the time, they would have pinned the baby down or something. The way What? Swat, listen, it's not surprising to me that swaddling changed from... It's changed from when we were a kid to now. And back then, they would straight up pin them to the I bed? I think so. I don't know. Someone had said... 
that's part of some of this conspiracy theories. It's like someone had to know how he was put down. Someone had to know how to unfasten him from the crib. Well, I can't imagine it was like, and the pins were connected to an escape room series <laughs> of Rube puzzles. It was a Rube Goldberg <laughs> is what it was. And, and, yeah, and a, what are, a Rubik's Cube <laughs> that you have to have like, completed in order to calm down. It sounds like safety pins or something. It probably was safety pins. Whoever pen. was in there had to have seen a safety pin before and know how it operated. So the baby's the baby's fucking bedroom nursery is on the second floor. So there's no other entrance, right? Okay. Um, there's a window. So what happens is she freaks out. She calls Charles Lindbergh Sr. He comes up, he looks frantically, they find a ransom note on the um, windowsill. The ransom note says, Dear sir, have fifty thousand dollars ready, twenty-five thousand dollars in twenty dollar bills. Fifteen thousand in ten dollar bills and ten thousand in five dollar bills. After t- you want ten thousand dollars in five dollar bills? Yes, that's fucking crazy. It's do you know wild. how many five dollar bills that is? Um, I didn't do the math, but I'm gonna dare you to do it. It's got to be twenty thousand. It's got to be two hundred. Just picture the it's suitcase that's gonna carry that. Big, way bigger. Too big. Too big. What are you doing with all those five dollar bills? So. A lot. You don't know. I mean, also, at, yeah, the, at that a lot time, is it's right. like a $20 bill. Do you know what I mean? Like, at that time, that's a $5 bill is a 20 Okay. I don't know if that conversion rate fits, but we're going to say it is. So then the letter says, after two to four days, we will inform you where to deliver the money and warn you for making and warn you for making any ding public or for notify the police. The child is in good care. G-U-T. Good care. So there's a weird sort of like three whole circle signature. So you know it's from them. Now, this ransom letter, which is the most important, is that it's clearly not someone whose English is their first language. And it seems like it's someone whose first language is German. Yeah. With the gut. G-U-T. Yeah. So at this point, they see the ransom note. The only people at the house at this time are the Lindberghs, mom and papa Lindbergh, the butler and his wife, and Betty, the nurse. So Lindbergh takes his gun, goes with the butler, and they start walking around the grounds of the house trying to, like, search for something. They just have a gun and they go to action. They find impressions under the window. They find little bits of wood and they do find the baby's blanket under the window. Mm -hmm. They call the police. The police are called. They come. They search the area. And in a story, if you listen to our Patreon episode with Larry, they do everything wrong. They don't... And preserve the talk, scene. they don't preserve the scene. Every time we talk about a case like this, so all of the input imprints, the feet are the impressions, the footprints are all fucked because everything is just getting muddied. Um, so what's noteworthy as well is because this is not a federal crime. So it's a state crime where spoiler alert, the Lindbergh law um, is a federal came in after this was based on this case, which is made kidnapping a federal crime, a federal offense. And so the federal government could get involved, the FBI, but at this point it's only the state level. So also their resources are a bit tapped. It's a safe area. There's not much, you know, and of course people are prideful, so they don't want to share. They don't need any help. What the police find is they find mud on the floor of the nursery. They find a ladder far away that is consistent with those bits of wood that were found below the window, but it's a ladder that seemed to be used to get up to the window of the second floor, and it appears to have snapped in the middle. 
What do you mean snapped in the middle? The ladder is those two section ladders to get up to the second floor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And where it connects, it snapped. It broke? That They found a broken ladder. That's Jeez, all I'll say. Louise. There was no blood. There's no fingerprints. Interestingly enough, there are no adult fingerprints that were found in the baby's room, including the areas in which the witnesses touched, like the window, but the baby's fingerprints were found. So no other adult fingerprints were found at the scene of the crime. Charles Lindbergh, like I said, is one of the most famous people. This happened, and just to reiterate, in 1932. So keep in mind, this is also peak Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Money is tight. So $50,000 obviously is a ton of money, but even now it's more so. And Charles Lindbergh is one of the most world's famous men. They know he's good for it. They know he's good for it, famous. And so the media also is an active participant in this case, certainly. All right, so get together that money, Charles. So there's no instructions on how to get a hold of the kidnappers. Remember the ransom, it's in two to four days, we'll be in touch with you. Don't so tell me they just, don't get in touch. They do, but it's this weird roundabout way where they have to negotiate who's the middleman, mm, right? So okay. Lindbergh tries to speak with them directly through the media, no response. Lindbergh starts to try to talk to, like, contacts he knows in, like, the shady underground to see if anyone knows anyone who's, like, mob bosses and things like that. There were some possible clues, but nothing that went anywhere serious. The media then starts, obviously, picking it up and reporting on it. Then people in prison start trying to negotiate their early release for any help with the crime, including Al Capone. Oh, interesting. He says... He offers to help from prison along with a bunch of other organized crime bosses Mm -hmm. um, in exchange for money or legal favors or um, getting out of prison early. This guy saw an opportunity and he reached out to this woman who he knew through someone. And he said, if you give me $100,000, I'll get you the child back. And so she was so wrapped up in this case that she willingly gave $100,000 for the baby's return she's to not, the comment. She's not related, related to them, them at, all. at all. Oh, my God. It just was just out of the kind. Yeah, just, just trying like, sure. to help. Um, so she gives, she willingly gives them $100,000. And then they keep putting off the little baby. You know, they keep saying, oh, no, 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 we're going to get to We're organizing. We're organizing it. Finally, she goes to the FBI. They're conned. The accomplice was an attorney and who was eventually um, convicted and disbarred when the FBI got involved in that con. So f- tensions are high. People are desperate for answers and for help. A reward at around the same time was announced for $75,000, which is over a million today, for any help in solving the case or finding little Charles Lindbergh. Just to clarify for you, this happened March 1st. Five days later... March 6th, 1932, Lindbergh got another note. It was postmarked March 4th, so it was within that two to four day, we're going to let you know, instructions. The ransom was increased to $70,000. Rude. Just rude. No other instructions. March They're just 8th, like, we had time to think about it, and we, we so, could probably get more. <laughs> so that's ransom note two. March 8th, two days later, there's a third note, and this is after Lindbergh had said, I have a guy who will be the intermediary between us and the kidnapper. Do you accept our conditions? Because again, Lindbergh can't just write back. He has to go out in the media and sort of tell them what they want, and then he hears back via letter. So the third ransom note, or the third letter from the the kidnapper, says they do not accept Lindbergh's guy, 
and they wanted the note in the newspaper. They kind of instruct him that the newspaper is how they will interact. Mm. That is how the Lindbergh will be in touch with the kidnapper. Wow. Also on March 8th, this guy, Dr. John Condon, who's a retired principal, he lives in the Bronx, he takes out an ad in the Bronx Home News, and he volunteers to be the intermediary for the kidnapper and the Lindberghs. He offers to pay the kidnapper an additional $1,000 to be the middleman. And he asks, I will do this job. I will be the person to go between. Give me the child and I will give it to a priest. Right? He's laying this out there. March 9th. Why the fuck you want to involve a priest? Priests are notoriously not great around kids. (laughs) I don't know about this plan. I was writing this last, or I was writing this, and I thought, yeah, that's going to be a response. And you did it. You stepped into the trap. It's a trap. How about a nurse, you know? How about a nurse? How about another woman? The woman who who tried to give $100,000. How about a grocery bagger? I just don't think priest (laughs) is the direction we should head in. (laughs) March 9th, the day after John Condon put an ad in the Bronx um, Home News, the fourth ransom note appears to Dr. Condon himself. The kidnappers say, hey, you're our guy. We agree. It's you. Lindbergh hears about it. He agrees. He posts that in a newspaper to the kidnapper. So it's agreed. Dr. John Condon is going to be the intermediary and handling all this. March 10th, 1932, Dr. Condon gets the $70,000 in cash and he starts negotiating through the newspaper column and he signs his letters Jaffsey in the newspaper column. I think you're going to love this next part of this story. I think it'll blow your mind, and I think actually we should write a show about this. March 12th at 8.30 p.m., Dr. John Condon gets an anonymous call. He then gets notification that a taxi driver is outside of his house and hand delivers him a note. The taxi driver got it from a strange guy that he doesn't know who, but was told to deliver to John Condon's house. It says there would be another note found under a stone in a vacant stand a hundred feet from the subway station. (gasps) Are you dying? I'm dying. (laughs) So he goes to this, he goes a hundred feet from the subway station, he finds this abandoned vacant stand, he finds the sixth note. The sixth note tells him to go to the Woodlawn Cemetery. There he'll find a puzzle piece. (laughs) Totally, right? So Condon has security the whole time, but when he goes to speak with this strange guy who calls himself John, nobody's really original with names. Charles Lindbergh, baby Charles Lindbergh. John Condon, kidnapper, calls himself John. It's a time where names are not creative. They discuss payment. The stranger said he is working with a gang of three men, two women. The stranger agrees after John Condon's insistence to prove that he actually has the baby Mm -hmm. and that the baby is alive. They separate. No money is exchanged. Condon keeps putting advertisements in the paper trying to contact and negotiate for Charles' return. So he keeps putting ads in the newspaper trying to communicate with the kidnappers. He said in one of the newspaper ads, money is ready. No cops. No secret service. I come alone. Like last time. Four days later, March 16th, the seventh ransom note comes. It is Charlie's sleep sack, or they call it a sleep suit. So they have the sleep suit. They take it to their dad. They confirm that that does belong to Charlie. March 21st, March 21st, the eighth note says that they complied with everything and that the kidnapping has been planned for a year. No information on where the money is They're just like, do you want a little backstory on us? (laughs) 
we've been working on this plan for about a year now. Really exciting to see it finally realized. Honestly, like, like, what are you guys doing? Just, like, let's keep it fucking moving. March 29th, Betty, the nurse, or the nurse, finds the thumb guard of little Charlie near the entrance of the estate. What the fuck's a thumb guard? I assume it's, like, a pacifier, but it's probably something for a kid to suck on of their own thumb. I don't know. The ninth note comes on March 29th as well. It threatens to raise the price to $100,000. This is March 29th. The baby was kidnapped March 1st. Right. It's been a month. It's been a fucking month. April 1st, the 10th ransom note goes to Dr. John Condon. Uh-huh. It says, be ready to, for the money exchange and the baby the next night. Great. Ready. John writes, he confirms in the newspaper. April 2nd, the next night... The 11th ransom note is delivered by a taxi, yet again, another strange taxi who'd got a note from a strange man. It told him to find another note under a stone in front of a greenhouse at 3225 East Tremont Avenue, the Bronx. So another random location to go find a note. He finds a 12th note to tell him that where he goes to meet John. The John that is his contact, the kidnapper. There's so many Johns in this story. I'm so sorry. I know. It's confusing. I need to rename them. All right, go to meet the kidnapper. He goes to meet the kidnapper. The note says, meet, meet me kidnapper here. John at... Hey, John. The, ki- the note says, hey, Dr. John Condon, it's me. Kidnapper John. John. Kidnapper John. Meet me at the John, John Cemetery. <laughs> By the way, he was getting the Johnson & Johnson earlier that day. So it was yes. safe for them to meet maskless. So it was safe. They were maskless. They had agreed to the $50,000 ransom. So after all of this ransom going up to 50 to 70 to 100, they ended up negotiating it back down to 50. Honestly, good job, Dr. John Condon. Get that deal. So he goes, it's put in a custom box so that if anybody finds the box, it's totally identifiable and it's specific. They also take all of the bills, the $50,000 bills, they take every serial number and they record it. They write it down. They do not mark it, but they record the serial numbers. Great. Also, what's significant is they were all written on gold certificates. This is before we went away from the gold standard. They exchange the box for a 13th note that says where baby Charlie is. It says he is on a boat named Nellie off the coast of Massachusetts near Martha's Vineyard. Kidnapper John leaves. John Condon is convinced he will recognize that man's face if he ever sees him again. The next day, they go to that area off the coast of Massachusetts to find the boat named Nellie and find baby Charlie Lindbergh. The baby is not found. This guy fucking tricked them? He got the money? He got the money. And there's no baby? There's no baby. What the fuck? May 12th, over two months after... 1932, a truck driver is driving. He pulls off the side of the road. He has to pee. It's about four and a half miles from the Lindbergh property. He went to pee, and he noticed a baby's body (gasps) four and a half miles from their home. In, like, a field? Where In a makeshift grave. Oh, my God. The baby was partly buried, decomposed, Animals had gotten to him. The cause of death was a huge blow to the head. There was a hole in his skull, but he had been there dead for a while. So do you think that whole month he was dead? They probably killed him that night? Yes. 
I think it was an accident that they killed him. You think they fell off the ladder? The yes. ladder broke? That's what I think. You think they meant to keep the baby alive? The ladder yeah. broke. Why else would they keep the baby? And I think the reason why it took them so long to get back. To get back? What do you mean to get um, back? The first day, the two to four days will let you know. Oh. They were I like, think what, they do we do? what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And the amount of time. I mean, it took a month. And they were like, should we still try What's to get that money? What's amazing to me is had they known the baby, they knew the baby was dead and they were gambling that no one would find the baby in all this time of negotiation though too, which doesn't totally make sense. Wouldn't you want to have a quick money drop before this happens? And maybe instead what they did is it bought them more time because nobody was looking for a baby's body. I don't body. know the like setup of the house, but a whole ladder breaking in half and a person holding a baby falling from that ladder. Would make a sound. That's a lot of. Yeah, it's a lot of noise. I'm, I guess I'm just surprised that she didn't hear anything. She wasn't like, now that you tell me this, going back to that night, there was a bit of a kerfuffle. It's like, it seems odd. There's even some more stuff that I'll get into in the conspiracy theory section of my research. Wow, what a sad story. Totally. I can't believe these idiot assholes went to steal this baby and killed it. Mm-hmm. What monsters? Again, I don't think it was an intentional death. I don't think so. Because I think if you're going to ransom a child, you want to have the child. Like, it's one thing to kidnap and get money from it. It's another, like, what possibly could they have benefited from, from killing that child? Not having to take care of a child for a month. Possibly, but is that enough? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard for me to stomach the idea they did that on purpose. I like to say, I like, I, I really like to think that it was an accident. Well, I think we all like to think that. So, um, after May 13th, so after the baby was discovered, President Hoover at this time enlisted the federal government's assistance with the case, um, because before they didn't have the jurisdiction because it wasn't a federal crime. In May 26th, they offer a $25,000 reward for any information. So then they start interviewing people close to the family, including Violet Sharp. So Violet Sharp is a waitress at the home of Anne, little baby Charles Lindbergh's mother. So it's his maternal grandmother. Um, this woman, Violet Sharp, was working at the house and she was about to be questioned. She was under investigation. And I guess that night she had given contradicting information about where she was. On June 10th, she ended up killing herself by swallowing silver polish that had cyanide poison in it right before she was about to be questioned. Whoa. She had an alibi. That makes you look real. Well, it just makes she look like she knew something. She knew something. They did say she had an alibi and she was safely away from the kidnapping that night. But this but it sounds like there was a believe, whole cohort. Well, the, me- the fact that it's mentioned that he was in a gang of three men, two women is suspicious. Um, John Condon would continue to help and, like, identify people, but then John Condon started kind of overexerting himself. At one point, he was on the bus, and he thought he saw the man kidnapper John, and he stood up and he said, I'm John Condon. Stop this bus. <laughs> he ran <laughs> off, and the guy ran away. Yeah. And then he also appeared in a vaudeville act recreating the kidnapping, and he That's went on. Not- Okay. Then he also went on record for a magazine, and it was called Jaffsy Tells All, which was his name that he signed in the newspaper. 
So the guy who was a guest trying to be helpful ended up taking his 15 minutes of fame for being the intermediary between the kidnappers and the Lindberghs. Took it too far, Jeff. Way too far. At this time, like I said, all of the money was recorded. So pamphlets and booklets of all of the serialized numbers were distributed to banks all across the New York area. In 1933, after Hoover was out of office, FDR is the president. Also in 1933, I had told you that it was important that they that you knew that they were in the gold standard at the time the bills were. Why that's important to note is because in 1933, FDR decided to move away from the gold standard. This is because of the Great Depression. People were hoarding money because of its gold. He was going to do away with the gold certificate standard and, and put paper money into the economy. Mm-hmm. By... May 1st, 1933, he listed that all of the money had to be converted to paper money. This is important because, of course, if you have $50,000 in gold certificates, this is going to make you much easier to spot. They did find some of the serialized certificates, um, and they were able to connect where it was spent in Manhattan, and it was spent along the Lexington line, so the green line. and they were The able rich to f- line. Or the Bronx line. They were able to connect it all down East Manhattan and up in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and, and, and specifically to a neighborhood, which is a German neighborhood of Yorkville, mm-hmm. Yorkville, Bronx. February 1934, some guy goes and gets gas, and he pays with a $10 bill. It's a gold certificate. The gas attendant looked at the car, felt something was off, the guy was a little suspicious, maybe thought that this gold certificate $10 bill was a bit of a counterfeit. So as the guy was leaving in his car, he scribbled down the car's license plate number Mm -hmm. on this bill. When the bill was eventually taken to the bank, they were able to match the serial number with that booklet. Got it. They were able to track the license plate number back to this guy, Bruno Richard Hauptmann. Hauptmann is a German immigrant who is a carpenter who lives in the Bronx. He also has served time in prison, and he has a criminal record. He also matched the description of John. They then surveilled him by the police. It took them seven months. Is that the math? Seven months. And on September 19th, he was arrested for the kidnapping of little Charles Lindbergh, and he had on his person a $20 gold certificate that matched one of the numbers in the ransom. They found in his house more than $13,000 of ransom money in his garage. He claimed to be holding it for a friend. This guy, Isidore right. Fish, no, who enough. died March 29th, 1934, whose landlady had said, that guy couldn't afford three fifty dollars in rent a week. There's no fucking way that guy had $15,000 lying no. around. All right, skip the story. He was well, ID'd yeah. by John Condon. He was ID'd by a taxi driver. And John Condon's phone number was written because I guess nobody had pads of paper, was written on the wood in his closet. Like, he scribbled down John Condon's name and his phone number in the closet. They also took a look at the ladder that I mentioned that they found on the property, and they started to look at the type of wood it was, how it was made, because it was a handmade ladder, and any fingerprints that were on it. They even took it to the Department of Agriculture to look at the specific wood that the ladder was made out of so that they could connect it if they found anyone. The ladder that was used, well, it matched the exact wood that that guy had in his attic. Done. People called this the trial of the century. This was a fucking spectacle. Apparently 60,000 people went to watch it. Insane. People said it was the biggest story since the resurrection. Of Jesus. (laughs) 
I wonder what religion has started from this one. You know what I mean? Lindbergian. Here's what's so fishy. The defense attorney was hired by the New York Daily Mirror because the defense attorney agreed for the rights to publish the story. That's absurd. That feels like not fair, (laughs) dare I say. The whole time this Houtman guy claims he's innocent, he never admits guilt. The prosecution uses the money found at his house, the wood in his attic, and the handwriting samples to the ransom note. His defense, he said something like, uh, I must have read in, in the paper about the story. I was a little bit interested, and I and maybe I was just in the closet and was reading the paper and put down the address. And <laughs> I can't give you any explanation about the telephone number, though. So that's his excuse. He really doesn't have much of a defense. Um, I mean, whenever I'm reading, like, a true crime article on Facebook or whatever, if I'm sitting by a wall, I just start tagging the wall <laughs> with information from the article. That's why my house looks like this, Carrie. I just have eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, nine on all my walls. Whenever I listen to it, I just grab a pen and I just mindlessly Stanley write. Stanley Stammer. <laughs> Tough on carpet. What's also noteworthy is they catch no one else. No one else. And I don't think this guy acted alone. I really don't. But I think he might have acted alone. Like, he might have gotten intel from other people about the baby, like that woman that had the shoe polish. It might have been a situation of, I guarantee this kid's not going to get hurt. Do these things to help me, and your payout portion will be such and such. Totally. And then they say, okay, and then... The baby dies, and they're like, we never meant for that to happen. I now want to eat shoe polish. You know? (laughs) Totally. I believe it was silver polish, but close. Fine. Part of his defense also is that he claims he was beaten by the police, and he also said he was forced to write the um, handwriting samples that match the ransom note. Oh, grow up. Yes, After a five-week trial and 11 hours of deliberation, he was found guilty to first-degree murder, and he's sentenced to death. Great. He tries to appeal up to the Supreme Court. It's all denied. He asked for clemency on March 30th, 1936. It's denied. He dies by the electric chair. Ooh. April 3rd, 1936, which I think is interesting. It's a year after he's convicted, so pretty fucking soon after he's convicted, versus now with it's we have much longer processes. He's labeled as the most hated man in the world. After this kidnapping became federal crime, and it's called the Little Lindbergh Law, some conspiracy theories that I think I need to share with you. Charles Lindbergh Sr. The dad. Mm-hmm. Might have had something to do with it. No fucking way. He apparently was really into eugenics, which is gross. the practice. Yeah, I know it's really is. gross. And his son... His son had rickets and pigeon toes, and he, apparently there might have been some shame, and maybe he was trying to give the son to take to back to Germany or something, and then it was a kidnapping gone wrong, and the child died. What? Um, Wait, you just listed, like, a lot of things that don't go together. You're like, he had these problems, so he was going to send him to Germany via a kidnapping? Yes, well, he had to take it away from his wife. He had to have oh. someone take the child away forcefully because he couldn't give the child away. Because she... She didn't mind that the kid had rickets. I she think, was like, you yeah. know what? I'm she was go, pretty selfless. Call me crazy. I'm going to love him anyway. She was, and the husband was she like, was really? A little bit of a, she was an independent woman of her time. You know what I mean? This is a really sad thing. I don't know this Lindbergh guy at all, but that's very, very dark. Very dark. Also, what's worth noting is that 
he apparently claims he was in the study, which was the window right below the nursery. Oh, so if there was a ladder mishap, you're really like, this bro didn't see anything? That I saw in a YouTube video. I can't say with certainty that that's the case, but if that's true, that's fucked up. Was there any other thing that made people say it was him? He was really, really involved in the case from up top. Yeah, it's his baby that went missing. Yeah, but they're saying they didn't separate him from the case enough, where he had a lot of action. The police let him be a big part of the case in a way that I don't think would be customary if you were a parent. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. That he was so famous that they let him in. I guess I just in. don't see what he had to gain in the sense that, like, it seems like if you really didn't want your kid, even if you were a really bad person and you wanted to get rid of your kid secretly, this is a really elaborate way to do it. Also, you're a famous dude. Like, why are you putting a target on your back? Do you know what I mean? There's also some theories that somebody handed the baby outside to somebody. Like, that somebody from the inside, like, maybe the nurse or something, or he did, like, handed the baby outside. There also is an interesting piece that I read, which was, there's a specialty fingerprinting process on the ladder that was done. Something silver oxide, whatever. It's not important. Whatever it's, like, CSI vibe, new fingerprinting. And there are places where the maker of the ladder's fingerprints would appear undoubtedly. And Hopman's fingerprints were nowhere on the ladder. And then what's really mm-hmm. bizarre is after this happened and no one found his fingerprints on the ladder, they refused to consider that finding the officials. They were like, ugh, no, we don't need that. And then they washed the ladder of mm. all fingerprints. Well, that's that's just dumb. That's just fishy, though, right? It just adds a little like, hmm? why would you do that? Why did you do that? Yeah, was the ladder really dirty? (laughs) That silver, that finger. Also, it's evidence. I think it can stay dirty. I don't think you're returning it to anyone. They're like, we think we could return this. It's broken. We want to see if Amazon will give us anything. (laughs) We've done that. Or some people think it was a prank gone wrong. Mm, No, no. I doubt that. Um, Skip it. There was also a table found that had a confession on the table and it was signed the initials of the Nazi party. So was Hauptmann working with that group? We don't know. Working with the Nazis mm-hmm. to kidnap a baby? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds a like A German something... baby of a famous aviator? Yeah. I mean, the Nazis do a lot of bad stuff. I'm okay I'm with okay including them in anything yeah. on them. <laughs> Likewise. I, you know, sure. Let's add them to the list. What we do know is Hauptmann does seem like he's involved in it. Um, he did it. Yeah, I. Yeah, <laughs> look at his house, Occam's razor. I mean, it's the simplest answer is often the right answer, and I feel like uh, there's just a lot. I do of... love his reasoning, though. It's like uh, I was watching the news, and uh, it was really interesting, and I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote John Condon's name down in pencil on a wood panel in my closet. I mean, who doesn't do that? Who doesn't? <laughs> do that. <laughs> right, that's the story of little baby Charles Lindbergh. Poor wow. thing. What a sad story. All right. I am going to tell you a f- story now. That's the nature tell of the podcast. Tell me a story. 
Okay. I'm going to tell you all about... I'm going to tell you some... It's Okay, I'm not going to tell you a story. Is it paranormal or scary? I'm going to tell you short stories about doppelgangers. God, I love doppelgangers. Right? You have my... I know your doppelganger. No, you don't. I do. She looks so much like you. I'm sure I would see that and be insulted. I think I showed Brianna and she's like, oh yeah, she does look like her. Eh. Eh. <laughs> I'm already... I'm... I don't know why I'm skeptical. Um, well, all right. Let me tell you these stories and then you, you're going to realize why I'm skeptical. Okay. Famous cases of real doppelgangers. Liveabout.com, Bustle, Ranker, and Listverse are the incredibly reputable, reputable sources. sources. Well, Listverse especially. We know they cross-check that information. Absolutely. So I don't know if you know uh, doppelganger is a German word. So that's our theme for today. Germans. It means double walker, and it's a shadow self that is thought to accompany every person. So we all have a shadow self. We all have a sort of body double. They're also known as wraiths. And the thing to know about a doppelganger is there. it's not, oh, you have a doppelganger. It's somebody that looks like you. No, you can say don't like... Don't imitate me like that. I don't like <laughs> when you do to. that voice I have for to. me. You that deserve it. so rude. You... I... Deserve it. Because guess what? They're indistinguishable completely from the person. Like identical? Identical. Okay, so she's not you, but... Not only are they identical, but they also sometimes can bilocate. So that would mean, like, the, the ability to be elsewhere while you're somewhere. What? Like a bot, like picture the word bilocation, like double location. It's like the idea is <laughs> Thank I you. can Another be somewhere. Compound word reference, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Teaching Thank Carrie you. English today. <laughs> I'm always just teaching you. Well, in German, doppelganger is double walker. Doppelganger. Doppelganger. Ganger. So a lot of times people say, the, sometimes people say, the only <laughs> like I'm like how much do people say this? Do I want to guess? Sometimes people some seeing a doppelganger, seeing your doppelganger is a harbinger of death. Scary. But sometimes you're not the one to see your doppelganger, right? Sometimes they it's your you. friend or your family. Sometimes they see you. So you said, yeah. yeah. So not if they see you first. And you just hope you don't make eye contact and they die. Right. Because so there's only got to be one of you. Let's do a couple. I'm going to tell you a few vignettes. Okay. Mm. Uh, first, I'll start with some famous <gasps> people that have doppelganger situations. Abe Lincoln, for starters, on the night of his first election, he's sitting down on the sofa and he happens to look at a mirror really quick and he's like, well, what? Because he saw not just his face, but another his face next to it in the mirror. Okay. Double face. <laughs> the second Lincoln was like ghosty looking and... They're right next to each other. So two Lincolns are looking back from the mirror. So he freaks out and looks closer and the doppelganger disappears. So he's like, shit. And he like sits back down and it's like, that was crazy. And he looks over and it's there again. And he's like, what in the world? So then he tells his wife and Mary's like, this is really bad. You know what I think it means? I think it means that you're going to be reelected a second time and that you're going to die. Because you're not going to survive it. Like, you're, no. it's going to be like you're elected a second time, but you don't survive your second term. 
And he was like, nah, but maybe. By the way, spoiler alert, that's what happened. Yeah, for all you history for all buffs his, out for there. These, for, for, I should be telling Quinn, hey, Quinn, Abe Lincoln was assassinated. Shut up. At the theater. The watching theater. an American president. In the middle of the play or at the end? Middle. Terrible. Rude. Crime. Crime. Criminal. Criminal. Also, we know that Lincoln isn't lying because he's known for being honest Abe. So this, we can all appreciate that this is all factual information. Absolutely. He tried to look for this doppelganger again and didn't see it one more time. So He did it, see it one more time? Yeah, and then never again after that. But we're talking like third time's the charm. He saw his doppelganger three times. So this wasn't like he had too much whatever a Lincoln drank. I feel like he definitely didn't drink. I feel like for sure he's not that kind I of guy. I bet he had mead. Mead. He had too many too many meads. Blind. If I had a five dollar bill for every time I had too much mead. Alright, Catherine the Great. She had a spooky little situation before she died. She died in, I think, s- late 1700s. She's Russia queen? Uh, mm, I'd rather not say. <laughs> That's really private. Um, so... <laughs> Honestly, I don't feel comfortable (laughs) disclosing about her. Uh, We'll talk about her doppelgangers. (laughs) I don't feel comfortable. I wouldn't feel comfortable getting into that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So her servants wake her up one night because they're like, we're super confused. We just saw you sitting on your throne in your throne room. And she's like, what? No. So she goes with them to the throne room, and she's sitting in her throne. No. So she's like, uh, shoot her. Shoot me. Shoot shoot that person. I think everyone's like, we don't know what to do. But then a week later, she does die of a stroke. No. So pretty crazy. Queen Elizabeth I, she sees herself lying motionless in her own bed. And she says she looked like a corpse. And she also died soon after seeing herself. Okay, let's go to the late 1800s, like 100 years difference. 1893, there's this guy, Vice Admiral George Tryon. Now, he's like a big ship commander, and he has this cool idea where he is off the coast of Syria, and he has this command of these two big groups of ships, and he's like, here's what we're going to do. Turn towards each other. And we're going to weave in and out. Like, we're going to go towards each other. It was, like, meant to be... Um, a game of chicken? No, like a, a cool... Like, airplanes doing tricks. Like, it was, like, supposed right. to look cool. It was like a naval drill. But he was, like, doing flourishes. It was a bad idea because the first two <laughs> ships right away smash into each other. Jesus Christ. And the ship he's on sinks. There are 357 no. men on board with him. And his last words to them were, it is entirely my fault. <laughs> Wait, where's his doppelganger? The exact same time this was happening, his wife's having a party at their house in London. And suddenly he shows up unexpectedly at the party in weirdly his like admirable, ad- admirable, <laughs> in his admiral outfit. <laughs> And he walks down the staircase just like silently 
goes through the drawing room, opens a door like he's going to go out of it, but then just disappears. How many people saw him? Everyone at the party saw him. No. And it happened at the same time he was dying on that boat. Saying it was all my fault. Let's talk about the poets, because this happens weirdly to a large handful of poets. First, let's talk about Percy Shelley. Yes, the husband of Mary Shelley that wrote Frankenstein. So he also drowned in a sailing accident in 1812. And he told Mary, his wife, before he died, I've actually met my doppelganger. And one time I walked onto a terrace and I saw my doppelganger on the terrace. And my doppelganger looked at me and said, how long do you mean to be content? Very creepy question. Also, a close friend of theirs, Jane Williams, saw his doppelganger walk by her window and go, like, walking outside down toward a dead end, but never came back. So creepy. John Donne is a 16th century English poet, and his wife is pregnant. He goes to Paris, and while he's in Paris, his wife's doppelganger appears to him and his wife's doppelganger is holding a new baby. But at the same moment he saw this image, his wife was actually giving birth back home and their child would be stillborn. Did his wife also die? No. Okay. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, an 18th century German poet. What's with these Germans? So he wrote this autobiography poetry and truth and talks about his doppelganger in it and he says he went to this city in Drusenheim and he was visiting this lady he was bedding it up with and he goes down this uh road and he is gonna go meet her and he looks up and sees this guy kind of pass him in a gray suit trimmed with gold but he thinks he sees the guy vanish like a ghost and he's like that was crazy but then eight years later he's back in that city on that same road going to visit that same woman and he realizes he's wearing a gray suit trimmed in gold and he's like i think i saw me like it was like a time time, slip like aka project pegasus aka episode 46 the gift of fear if you haven't listened to it dear readers some sort of time slip that allowed him to see himself basically at another yeah. point in time in 1889 there was a french novelist guy de maupassant de 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 maupassant de maupassant guy de maupassant wouldn't it be then guy guy is how you say guy in french well i don't think they're like guy or are they guy i don't know I'm going to say guy. Okay. Because you're good at names. I'm really good at names. (laughs) So he's writing in his study. And his fucking doppelganger comes in and is like, I'm going to dictate to you what you should write. (laughs) Which is weird because of the term ghostwriter, sort of, right? Like, that's taking it a little too far. He ends up writing this book, Louis, which is a book about a man that goes mad after meeting his doppelganger. What's crazy about him writing this book and saying that it's because his doppelganger told him to write it is that this guy will attempt suicide in 92, three years after meeting his doppelganger, and he'll end his life in a fucking mental institution. 
So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's or... Definitely. But he also had syphilis, so I'm not sure if that played a role. They do say that affects your brain if gone untreated. Yeah. Which I'm inclined to believe in 1889. It might would be have been a situation. Amélie Segui is um, a French woman. She's a teacher at this school. I'm not going to bother trying to say it. It's just too embarrassing. This is in 1845. She teaches at a girls' school in what is now Latvia. And she's writing on the blackboard. And her doppelganger shows up next to her in the class and starts copying every move she's doing as she writes. Except not holding chalk. But, like, standing next to her copying. 13 students witness this. No. Uh Uh-huh. During the next year, her doppelganger is seen several more times. It is seen by 42 students one summer day. They're sitting and working, and they look out the window and see her doppelganger in the garden gathering flowers. Wow. They go out and try to touch her, and there's like a force field around her, like a resistance where they can't touch her, and then she vanishes. Ooh, that's crazy. That's creepy. Let's go a little more modern with this one. 1906, British Parliament member Sir Gilbert Parker is attending a debate. And he sees this guy, Sir Frederick Carne Roche, um, who's another Parliament member there. And he, they're sitting kind of close to each other. And he's just surprised to see him because he'd heard Sir Fred was super ill with the flu. Mm-hmm. But he's like, oh, hi, Fred. Like, he's really nice. And he's like, I hope you're feeling better. And Fred has no reaction, like stone-faced. So he's like, oh, weird. And then he goes to look back again. And Sir Fred's just gone. So he's like, where'd that guy go? And he kind of looks around for him in the lobby. And then everyone's like, I didn't even see him show up here. I don't know what you're talking about. But he asks other people and they're like, yeah, yeah, I saw him sitting in there too. Mm. He's like, okay, I'm not crazy. The real Fred was sick in bed at home all day long that day. He finds out about it. And his response is hilarious. He's basically like, yeah, I guess that doesn't surprise me because, you know, I really was sad I was sick. I really wanted to take part in that debate. So I guess it makes sense that some part of me figured out how to be there. Dude. But then people are like teasing, not teasing him about it. I think they're freaked out legitimately. But when he starts going back to the parliament, they'll go up to him and poke him and stuff to see if he's real. (laughs) And he gets really mad and ends up writing a sarcastic letter to the newspaper that's saying like, oh, I guess I should have had the good sense to die as soon as everyone saw my doppelganger since everyone thinks it's a bad omen. I should have just died. <laughs> like Drama queen. Calm down. Also, Parliament, though, are notorious drama queens, which is why I really like watching their proceedings. Definitely. They're really good. They're so emotional. I love it. Now we're going to go way back. We have two more. Super way back, super modern. Super way back. We're in 1622, New Ooh. Mexico. Father Alonso de Benavides reports encountering Hamano Indians who carry crosses, observe Roman Catholic rituals, and they know Catholic liturgy. But they know it in their own language. But it doesn't really make sense, like, where they got it from. So he's like, how do you know about Christianity? And they're like, we met a lady in blue... 
She lived among us for years. She taught us this religion. She taught us your language. So this guy goes back to Spain where he's from. And he finds this sister Mary of Jesus who says. Is it of Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Of Jesus. Yeah. He goes and finds the sister Mary of Jesus in Spain who says that she converted a bunch of North American Indians. And she says, not in body, but in spirit. What happened is she says she would go into these trances. Yeah. And it was like a dream where she was in this land she didn't know with these people she didn't know, but she was teaching the gospel. And kind of as proof, she's able to actually talk about what the Hamano Indians looked like, like their appearance, their clothing, um, their customs. She couldn't have really learned any of that because they were really, really recently discovered by Europeans. There wasn't a bunch of information floating around in Europe or in Spain about them. Right. So he, he's like, we, how did you communicate with them? How did you know how to talk to them? She's like, well, I just spoke to them and God let us understand one another. Like she would speak her language and they would speak theirs, but God let them understand one another. So that's kind of an example of... It's weird that her she had control of her doppelganger, it appears. Yeah, that's by location. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning. It's sort of... She, she can, like, cast herself. Or the guy putting himself, like, in Parliament is sort of, like, by location. Or, like, the eight years later is time. Interesting. They're all kind of weird They're all variations. a little different, and yeah. they're all a little, like, what are the rules? It's totally. like when you watch a movie on time travel, and every time you watch one, you're sort of, like, you have to relearn whatever It's like vampires. Time tra- it's just like vampires. <laughs> you have to relearn time travel rules because they don't make sense. No. Um, Okay, then I just decided for fun, here's a really recent one that this Redditor put up on Reddit. Quiet Voice 4846 says that she would go to the bathroom at night, mm-hmm. and the past few days she's done it, she can see herself standing in the mirror out of the corner of her eye as she's turning. Like, she's turning, but the figure, she can see herself. Oh, I she don't says like that. it looks like another her watching her leave the bathroom and that it scares her so much that she starts to just run out of the bathroom and not look at the mirror. She's so scared. And she didn't tell her husband about it because she's like embarrassed. Is she still alive? So, yeah. I hope she is. But then she's like so what happened is i didn't tell my husband then i'm taking a nap in our bed he's sitting next to a chair that's in the same room watching tv i wake up from the nap and he's like the craziest thing happened i saw you sit up in bed crawl backward in the bed stand up and go to the front of our bedroom door all from the corner of my eye while i was watching tv no i thought it was weird because you're pregnant and you don't move that way or that easily. So I started to try to talk to you. You didn't answer me. I looked away from the TV because you're not answering me and you're not there in the door anymore and you're in bed asleep. So she's like, like, I have to tell you something. And she tells him the creepy mirror story about how she keeps seeing herself in the bathroom. And this is how the post ends. He thought it was creepy as well but didn't want to really talk about it anymore because he thinks it will give whatever it is, power or energy. I have no idea what it wants or why we have both seen it. That's the whole post. I hope she's alive. It's terrifying, right? I really hope she's alive. Such a scary story. Ooh, and those ooh. are my little doppelganger vignettes Thank that I wanted to bring Thank you for those little vignettes. 
Yes. So that's why you haven't seen my doppelganger, because it would have been way scarier, and it would have looked just like me, and you would have thought it was me, and it would have given you cold shoulder vibes. Little... And then I would have died. Well, no, because it seems like if somebody else sees it, you don't die. But if you see it, you die. die. That's so I never want to meet this girl I that you think is my doppelganger. Don't introduce her to me. I won't. You know what? Don't even show me a picture of her. I won't. We've got to be safe. I've already showed you a picture of her, but I won't again. Oh, what was my response? I do kind of look like... She does kind of look like me. That doesn't sound like something I would say. Are you sure you didn't show it to my doppelganger? <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. <gasps> what? Nothing. Oh my god, that was good face. Thank you. I gave good face, but you will never know, dear readers, because this is a... It's not that medium. It's not a visual medium. What we're doing is we're, it's not a visual medium. I just got tired. You want to take a nap? A little bit. Okay. Okay.